Welcome to the Diamonds for Our Children podcast, a public humanities project and motherhood ministry. I'm your host, Katie Jo LaRiviere. Drawing on all aspects of what Pope St. John Paul II called the feminine genius, I gathered together the narratives, expressions, and expertise of mothers as a collective epistolary given freely as a gift to all children who might need the loving and secure presence of motherhood. This podcast is for my little ones, of course, but it's also for you, dear one, whomever and wherever you may be. If you need the love of a mother, join me every Monday. Each episode is a facet of the diamond of motherhood, and each contributes to a unified love that reflects light back onto the world. Let us fill our hearts up so that we can pour them out. Amidst the seduction of spectacle, how can my work embrace pause? As an artist, I have to be willing and able to nurture my personal joy in the process of making the work so that others may find joy in the presence of the work. In my work, I reference wild spaces of immense beauty that allow space for security accountability, validation, and belonging in the natural world. I appreciate the vessel and its link between the human body and the greater community of non-human bodies. A vessel composed of wild textures, pattern, and movement surrenders the human body to the empowerment of rewilding. Joy enables wild places to hold the hand of someone who may choose to imbibe in this learning process. This week, we diverge from our regular method, and I welcome an incredibly special person to talk with me about the themes of this project. This is part one of our conversation. We spoke, as we must, during a pandemic, over the phone, about what it means to mother when you don't have biological children of your own. We also explore themes of intention and potential, unlearning efficiency, and a concept she terms self-attachment. Carlene Kantner is a master of mindfulness. It's an approach she takes to every person and everything she encounters. She may be my younger sister, but I look up to her every day. Savor this one with me, dear listener, and be sure to catch the second half of our reflections next week. Carlene Kantner is a ceramic artist and educator from Montana, whose facilitative approach to teaching promotes both personal and social development through meaningful experiences of love, confidence, and trust, which in turn promote engagement and joy within the broader context of family, society, and the more than human community. She earned her bachelor's of fine arts in ceramics from the University of Montana, where she was also the recipient of the Community Arts and Achievement Award presented by the Mortarboard Honor Society. While the Director of Youth Art Programming at the Zootown Arts and Community Center, 
Carlene held an internship at the Clay Studio of Montana. There, she cultivated an enthusiasm for atmospheric wood firing with dear friends and mentors in the Blue Mountains of Montana. She has most recently held a residency and teaching position at the Flower City Arts Center in Rochester, New York. Her work has shown in both solo and group exhibitions and is in the permanent collection of the Montana Museum of Art and Culture. Her honors and awards are many. Carlene is passionate about community healing through art education and horticultural therapy. Her work in ceramics and her service to her community are infused with gentleness and joy. She currently lives and holds a studio practice in the Berkshire Mountains of Western Massachusetts. And I'm honored to say she is my sister. <laughs> So we got that out right off the bat. Hearing you read that just makes me feel so full. That's lovely. Oh, good. You are a full, full person, my dear. And I love, <laughs> love, love that um, you were willing to spend some time with me today. Um, and I think, I, you know, I like to jump right into the middle of things, um, as you know, <laughs> and her uh, mess around with the 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 peripheral bullshit so I'm going to ask I'm going to start by just sort of prompting our conversation by asking the the hardest question mm. of all which is what does motherhood mean to you what does it mean to us maybe and do you relate at all to the notion of spiritual motherhood mm. I I love you jumped right in yeah I motherhood is this teaching endeavor, it's creative endeavor. Um, it's this immense monumental energy um, that I feel both runs among us and between us, but also the energy in our human bodies to move and activate life-giving, whether that be through nurturing, you know, home and, and, quite literally um, comfort and security in our spaces, but also it, through a example of like what's possible and um, what sort of process is available to, to others in the community. So whether that be children or peers, students. Uh, so I absolutely, I, I absolutely respect and engage with this notion of spiritual motherhood because as someone who doesn't have uh, children myself, I feel this great um, pull to consistently try to ease out of others through my students, my young, often youth um, students, like what it is for them to be full and feel powerful and to feel um, in their most earnest selves. And so I just, I think that harkens so much to ideas of, oh gosh, potential and, and creativity. So it's, it's an exciting, <laughs> exciting it's idea. So I think that's very, it's very big and it's, it's kind of funny to, to I, like, I find myself kind of swaying in my seat because I'm trying, <laughs> trying to put uh, these big words on such a 
a huge umbrella concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you about the hugeness of it. And I think it's, you know, even answering it myself as the creator of this podcast is is impossible. <laughs> it's not something that you want to take lightly. And I can hear that in your in your response, certainly. But I think that you summarized it, you know, just beautifully right away when you said it's this endeavor of life giving, right? And it it seems to me that all of the work, um, sort of the intentionality and the work that you do has that as its center focus, right? This life giving. And and it seems to me that that's the idea of, of potential, mm. right? I think with, it's an interesting intersection between intention and potential, because to me, there's so much trust there. Mm. I think there's mm-hmm. so much this idea that we may have, you know, of course we have these literal intentions throughout our day, an intention to make someone feel good, um, intention to get something done, but also greater, deeper intention within ourselves to be the best, you know, maybe the best we can be or really accomplish something important to us um, because we know that we have so much potential. And intention can be so just, <laughs> just be like this heavy, almost like wrought with discipline process sometimes for me you know, with, because you really need to stay, I, I should say, really need to stay grounded in my intention and kind of harness my meandering um, instincts sometimes in order to reach potential. But there's that balance there and that trust that things will work out okay. Seems like there's a, a kind of shift that happens between uh, intentions of doing and the intention of being. And it seems like that's kind of, you know, what you're talking about when you say that there's this gravity to it. Once you uh, can focus the intentionality with which you do things toward an intended being, mm. then you sort of fulfill a certain potential or or maybe move closer to it. Um, and it is, it is a gravity. And I think that's maybe a part of the the gravity of, of spiritual motherhood, right? Uh, um, the sort of intense responsibility it is not only to be intentional with one's own being, but then when you are responsible for the beingness of others, whether as a teacher or a biological mother or a you know, any kind of mothering, life-giving position, it is sort of heavy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's because, oh, the responsibility to make this, your place around you, your sort of human bubble, your sort of human interaction, an inclusive one Mm -hmm. is this funny thing because as children, we are, we're continually learning that the world is not just about us. And that we are greater than our immediate realities. You know, our mothers, uh, literal mothers, were not meant to uh, exist for us, even though (laughs) in a way that's true. But (laughs) as a child, you realize that the world is so much bigger, I guess, is what I'm 
trying to say. And so this movement toward inclusivity, understanding the the day-to-day discipline of that is is huge. Yeah, it seems to me like maybe the task of mothering because of this idea of of potentiality and being intentional with the way that that you use your responsibility maybe is more about creating opportunities than it is about molding clay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that I think like actually fits really well with with your artist's philosophy, at least from my perspective, like because your work, your clay work is so much about opportunity and intentionality, potentiality, um, and less about like forcing the clay to to become a thing that you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- can you t- can you talk about that a bit? Like, can you talk about your sort of relationship between your notion of motherhood and kind of the work you do in the studio? I think that, you know, when it comes to having a studio practice and being a maker, there's this idea that I understand that it's uh, it's the, the importance of process is so much bigger than the product. And so this process enables um, a sort of facilitation, that opening of opportunity that you speak of for the work to communicate well. And I don't, I don't feel like I have specific symbolic needs to be communicated to my audience through my work, but I do feel like each piece, which is, which are primarily vessels, end up having so much texture and movement, and um, they're almost like this rendering of a vessel that harkens so much to the human body throughout history. The ceramic vessel ha- always has. So through this process, I'm I'm able to let things happen. Um, I am able to let go of some control. So there's the, I guess there's a something we need to differentiate between control and intention. You know, I I ha- I need to be able to control the piece so it doesn't uh, flop. You know, if I want to start with a narrow foot or something challenging, I need to be able to control what happens. And and therein lies the skill. So, with practice, my skill grows. And so with that, <laughs> with that discipline, my skill grows. With greater intentionality, my skill grows. And with greater trust, my skill grows. So mm. I find that what works best for me is a slow process. So I, I hand build my work, which helps me move slowly. And I enjoy the wheel. I, I enjoy so much about that centrifugal force of the wheel. But I, the slowness of hand building helps me because I can truly nitpick and make great decisions the whole way through (laughs) every every movement is a decision and I I end up um rolling out these thin slabs that um I then rip and and attach and go piece by piece and it it builds from the bottom up yeah Uh, and so 
for our listeners, I just want to refer to the the images that I will put in the show notes of Carlene's work. But you can see this kind of intricate layering um, and and sort of the decision. The decision is really um, it just comes alive when you look at different pieces of yours next to each other and you can see how um, just a slight movement in one direction opens up a new possibility for that work. Mm. It's just really beautiful and fascinating. Well, thank you. Is there more about process that you wanted to say though? I, I feel like I've interrupted that beautiful <laughs> meditation. No, it's wonderful. I think I, one thing I'm contemplating right now is this relationship between efficiency and self-attachment. So mm. I, you know, um, I think that we can all relate to a process of, of undergoing a task or something that is repetitive and ending up losing ourselves a bit or having our mind wander or um, finding this sort of meditative energy in, in that task. And in building my work, I'm I'm so there. And it's like, awesome. I I hardly ever will watch something or um, even now I can't even listen to podcasts while I'm making because I can cannot focus on both at once. And so often I'll just be in the quiet and I'll listen to my foot shuffle. I'll listen to myself putting a tool down, my dog Madge do a stretch or a, a little whimper in her dream or something fall or in a community space, I can hear so much clamor around me. Um, people just totally like jibber jabbering and, and <laughs> the sink on and off, somebody drops something and the, the gasps that inevitably happen. So I'm thinking about all of those things because, you know, it's not an efficient, I'm not setting myself up for efficiency necessarily. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily, you know, prep all of my slabs and then rip them a certain way and then, and then score them all with a knife and then just have them set up ready. It's really like one decision at a time, mm -hmm. which yes, slows everything down, but it also facilitates more opportunities for movement and individuality for you know texture to arrive in in surprising places um it's kind of a play but it's also just so much more it's like that heaviness again that gravity of time mm. doesn't it doesn't feel like I'm running around playing on a playground but it does make me feel like I'm peaceful like I'm playing kind of inside in a light way, even though I have this duty, you know, this uh, discipline to do this repetitive job. Um, yeah. And I'm just sunk right there. So I think about um, efficiency and self-attachment. So going back to that idea, I'm trying to decide what that is. Because I find that if I'm able to unlearn this efficient machine-like method of making, like I am landing in such great care for the work. And mm. that care ends up escaping my own self. It kind of breaks down my ego a little bit. It's less my ego, my own self, 
is less stimulated there. And it's more um, like this body of the vessel coming to life. And I'm not trying to say that I'm like this messenger or something, you know, that I have wonderful things coming through me. It's just actually more literal than that. Like I, I feel like it can't all be explained away in metaphor, but I do lose so much of myself in making these that I end up inevitably caring for the peace or the other. And so that idea makes me think about where we are as a culture and as a, as a modern system in our, in our absolute lust for efficiency and it makes me wonder why yeah okay so this reminds me what you're talking about this self-attachment and discipline and all of these ideas you're thinking about reminds me of this mary oliver quote Hmm. where she says um, attention is the beginning of devotion. devotion. Yeah, right. Oh, I wrote that. Okay, that is the okay. I wrote that on my banding wheel. I I heard maybe yeah. we listened to the same interview, uh, or something. I don't know how you found it, but I was listening to an interview with her, or maybe it was through the Sue Stewart Smith interview we both listened to. I'm not sure, but I ended up writing that down on my banding wheel because it was so relevant. Yes. It's so right on. Right. And it, it captures the idea of how it is that a person not only loves another by paying attention, that, that paying attention is the greatest sign of one's love. Right. Hmm. But it also, it also explains how it is that that love can can become this transformational Mm. sort of full whole gift to another person or to another thing or to another to an animal or whatever it is right that that needs the attention and how then you can become devoted to the thing through your love yes right yes (laughs) it seems like you were just describing this when you were talking about your work I'm talking about the way that you sort of intentionally unlearning efficiency, unlearning production mode, and rather saying, no, I'm going to attend. Mm. I attend here. And in so doing, I devote myself, my time, my energy, all of this sensory awareness, right? I I, I'm thinking about when you're saying I hear when people drop a, an instrument or a tool and I hear my foot shuffle and, you know, that is a tuned attention because when you are wrapped up in efficiency and production, you don't pay attention to those things. Really, you don't live in your own body. Right. Right. You know, and, and when you can't live in your own body, you can't empathize with another body. Not only that, but you are also, you know, if you can't live in your own body, you your body is oppressed by something. Mm. It, I was, um, one of my, I mean, I've kind of adopted 
them as my one of my great teachers right now. But Bronte Velez, I've been listening to uh, so much of their work, and they talk a lot about this idea by liberation and this huge idea of shifting isolation, being able to be available for the transformation and the, the transition. So what you're talking about with this attending, this attention, this attuned attention to your to your own senses, it's like a facilitation for ourselves. It's like mothering ourselves so that we can be more available um, to, to facilitate that for others, this huge, and, and being able to admit that there's another way of making. Being able yes. to admit that I don't have to produce in order to be a maker, that I can I can full wholeheartedly adopt this transition from efficiency to care, and that I don't have to be this isolated maker who works and and works my body. I can take care literally of my wrists and of my back. I can take care of my body to be more embodied through all of my senses, which is really just the greatest, greatest freedom. And I have to, I have to be able to imagine that for my artistic practice. If I, if I'm able to imagine it for my artistic practice, I can imagine it for my teaching practice. And if I can imagine it for that teaching practice, I can imagine it for my life practice, my practice in my community. It's so exciting. And it makes me think then of this sort of grounding concept of this project, which is tender mercy, that this process, this attention this sort of maybe intentional attachment and detachment, right? Um, a move away from production and more toward uh, the person, the deep inherent value of the person is, is mercy. That movement toward that is mercy. And it is tender. It is so delicate. Mm. Yeah. I just think about your work and the way that everything, um, Every movement of it is is mercy, both toward the self, right? A, a mercy toward toward oneself that allows the practice of mercy then to extend to the community or to one's children or anything or anyone that needs mothering. <laughs> that is so beautiful. I'm honored that you would say such a thing. I want you know, that I, when you're talking about mercy is paying so much great attention. It's that loitering. I love that word now. I, ever <laughs> since I read the, the essay by Ross Gay about loitering, yes. I have just totally adopted it. I'm in love with that word. I just, you must, we must loiter with each other. We must pay attention, you know, with the, with the work, I, I must loiter in each moment if I can, if I don't go completely crazy by the immense time it takes to finish a piece. But I must kind of loiter. I have to choose. Do I place this floret here or should I place it here? It's every note. It's every detail 
that matters. Yeah. It's taking, you know, taking notice. And I, that process is just not available on a, on an assembly line. Yeah, loitering makes me think of um, sort of this idea that to be in love, right, you have to, you have to devote carefree time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to be um, intentional, again, with uh, spending your time with someone without being mentally somewhere else, right? Being fully present with a person is that sense of, of loitering for me, maybe. Um, and allowing each other to do that and to participate in a, an attitude or a disposition of loitering right so that we're not constantly hurrying each other and and that we respect everyone's um deep fundamental right to loiter on the things that they love mm-hmm. so much patience there there's so much patience there so much and it you know it's interesting that we we live in a our culture our modern culture and I'm going to say our because I'm talking about you and I. I mean, we're here in this culture of efficiency of this assembly line that I'm talking about in order to like move and create opportunities for like success, create time. We're like trying to do this goal oriented, list oriented lifestyle that is feeding this false sense this false system of success. It's like, literally, you know, I have images of a can of beans on the dinner table. I'm sorry, a can of peas. Even beans are maybe like excusable, but like you cannot (laughs) excuse a can of peas. They're just so bad. And I could never imagine myself as a kid ever liking peas. I just couldn't stand peas. I would only eat as many peas as I was years old every time I saw them on my plate. (laughs) But the second that I realized that each of those nasty, mushy peas is actually a seed that grows like real beautiful, crisp, fresh peas if done with nurturing and done without this false sense of, of, nourishment and this false sense of efficiency if i if i could actually grow a pea not only will it taste crisp i remember my <laughs> going to my friend's garden down the road and her parents had a garden and i ate a pea and i <laughs> i almost said no thank you when she offered it to me but it changed my life i realized that it things happen differently I had the same exact experience with a different neighbor. <laughs> and this must have been years apart. Yeah. It was the first time I ever tasted a, a real fresh pea vegetable. I mean, I, and I think, you know, this inspires in me sort of a recognition of of a certain amount of, of privilege that we're even talking about fresh peas versus canned peas you're right I mean you're right the reason we even had canned peas to begin with was because of like our parents didn't have time to garden we didn't have they worked constantly like I was walking home from school from the bus stop 
by myself every day after school. Like they, well, there was no leisure time in our house. Mm. And it, that's, that's what I'm talking about. This, this idea of like to be able to tackle that for, for every family and to, to actually um, acknowledge this like food apartheid, especially in communities of color and the way that the food system has just been set up to completely like, Oh, it is just, well, it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing and it's, it's poisoning our soils. We are in a great moment of having to reimagine how to do this. So, yes. Well, and this makes me think about, so I'm connecting several threads here. I'm connecting the thread of our conversation about, you know, attention and sort of slowness and um, process with the idea of horticultural therapy, which is another one of your, Mm. your great passions. Um, And this conversation about peas, which we've has sort of felt like maybe it came out of nowhere, but ultimately is connected to these ideas of attention, um, the idea of humanizing other people and taking the necessary time that it requires to take care of humans, right? And to bring life to human beings. All of that is wrapped up under this this concept of mothering, um, I think. And, and so, yeah, maybe we can talk more about about plants, <laughs> about, <laughs> you know, about gardening, about rewilding, because that's something, you know, you mentioned earlier. And I wonder if maybe you could help us uh, conceptualize or think about that a little a little better. Well, I guess I could start by talking about how I have been influenced by the my natural surroundings as a young person. Um, going down, riding the bike, my bike down to the creek and spending summer days um, in this person's backyard that, you know, didn't even realize was not, (laughs) that was like (laughs) private property until I was older, but just spending so much slow time. And uh, it was a very formative experience of growing up kind of in that, in that space. And we never really had a garden and we didn't, we didn't really plant things. We didn't, you know, mom had plants around the house and often the chore was to water the plants. And I, I do remember enjoying that because I I particularly liked the visual of watching the soil uh, absorb the water and, Mm -hmm. and watching it kind of go out the bottom of the, uh, of the tray and it was a it's a it was a visceral image for me because I still use that sort of simile when I'm talking about feeling um nourished or or thirsty or um if I have a really wonderful life giving experience i I use that metaphor when i when I try to communicate how I'm feeling that idea of a soil just absorbing water and through working with clay, I have had just this great connection with the earth and through learning about so, so many potentials with clay and the earth and with wood um, through firing, 
I just found myself completely immersed in plants unintentionally and giving, giving wild places, the, the gratitude I've found that with my work, I really am putting great intention and attention toward showing up beautiful for wild places because mm. wild places are our home and it's not unknown that wild places offer such solace and calm for people um, anytime that we can connect with our geology and all of those components of landscape and place, we can feel more whole. We can feel more grounded, um, more in our breath, more embodied. And so I think about this time when I was, I was teaching up in uh, upstate New York as an art camp counselor and on our days off I had this marvelous group of friends and we would always go hiking and we would uh swim in the Hudson River I'd swim up the river and then float down and then swim back up and float down and one day we were talking about flowers and their smell and we sort of began talking about whether or not we should pick a flower to appreciate it or if we should lower our bodies to the ground to appreciate mm. it. And I've been very affected by that conversation. And I actually, you know, I, so much of me feels like if I'm open to that possibility of Lowering my body to the body of the ground and to the, all of the little tiny bodies that are there with that flower. Not only will I experience that flower in its body on its stem, but I will be able to experience all of the surrounding bodies and scents and feelings and kind of immersiveness in that place. So um, I'm really like wrapping around your question here, but I've, I've found that if I could, through my artwork, build ceramic vessels that act as my body laying on the ground to smell that flower, then I would feel, I would just f feel an immense gift there because, you know, many of my vessels are meant to hold plants act as uh, elements of design for floral design and and other horticultural installation aspects what i'm trying to say is you know if you could quite literally like again i'm not even speaking through metaphor if you could quite literally imagine your body on the ground to hold a flower to smell a flower that's what i would like to do with my work to really ground the pots to come to the plants. So that's not like, I'm just sticking my cut flowers in a vase here. Mm -hmm. I made a bouquet that I'm sticking in a vase. It's a meeting. It's, yeah. It's a mutual attention between the vessel itself and what fills it. Um, and therefore, a mutual attention between the clay artist and the world in which she lives. Oh, thank you so much for doing that. 
<laughs> I was just completely overcome with like excitement about what mm. I was trying to say. And uh, it it is so much that mutual attention. And doesn't that just play perfectly into what like motherhood even is? I mean, as a teacher, all, te all good teachers will say that they've been taught more than they have taught themselves. I mean, it's like if you if you ain't saying that you need to leave your job because you <laughs> a mutual that mutual teaching that mutual attention coming to you know my experience being so much with youth going to the to their level you know like again literally getting down to their level and spending that mutual attention that eye contact or even for for kids who who don't make eye contact at least it's a a humble shrinking of the self right mm -hmm. to a level where they feel empowered toward a mutual response right mm -hmm. so that it's like you know i i am here with you not at you Oh God. Yeah. You know, um, and we pay attention to each other and that's how children learn to do the things you want them to do um, willingly. Right. Which is through um, a mutual, I see you moment. Yeah. I hear you. This, this it's exchange, not transaction. Right. And so if you're able to surrender yourself yeah to the other person and i say surrender because yeah you lose control in that mo moment you're yes. you're not the one in power in that moment so you need to you know it's about that idea of feeling pleasure in that surrender to to understanding the beauty in that transaction mm -hmm. you know when we were children and I hated being picked up by my arm, you know, under my arms to because it well, like it was uncomfortable and I wasn't feeling really equal in that moment. I was coming to the adult's eye level, but I was so uncomfortable. Mm. And it's that same experience with that flower. I mean, imagine the um, the discomfort if and you know, it's greatly personifying kind of a, a plant which I know is whatever but but it is an act of violence is it not it, yeah it is it is a a killing of the, the plant mm. to bring it to your level mm -hmm. um you know and and certainly lifting a child up to hold them in your arms is not an act of violence but it is a removal from their natural state closer to the ground well, and yeah, and of course, this, there's that that idea of security and care that 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 children need, and they need the the touch and the holding. Um, but there's the instances of like being picked up against your will as right. a small being, right? And at, moved, bodily. and moved, yeah. <laughs> To be put yeah. out of the way or <laughs> yeah particularly like with potty training and cleaning yeah. up and yeah mm -hmm. yeah well it reminds me of what you were saying earlier when you were talking about the sort of the balance between or the negotiation between control and intention you know if when you have an intent towards something and you want so badly to grow it 
in a certain direction, that growth is a surrender and not not an imposition of power. And um, it's not authentic. The growth is not authentic. Right. It's a false sense of growth. I mean, growth is not just becoming bigger. It is mm. becoming deeper. Mm. True growth is... Like a tree. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about how we frequently find ourselves, you know, I, w I was referring to wanting to show up more beautiful to wild places. And I guess by that, I mean, uh, very authentic. I want to mm. be able to show up authentic because I want to be able to create that mutual gift. With so much material to meditate upon, I thought this would be a good time to pause our conversation. We'll resume next week when Carlene and I will tie together the threads of our conversation and imagine a way to articulate a being that accounts for a fullness of dignity and also a more just society. In the meantime, you can find images of Carlene's work at diamondsforourchildren.com where you will also find links to Carlene's website and the resources she references throughout our conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with me this week. You are a beloved child, and today, for just a few moments, you chose to be with me. I'm so honored by that. I hope you can feel how much you are loved. If you know someone who could benefit by spending time with us, will you invite them to the Diamonds for Our Children community? Help them find our website at diamondsforourchildren.com. Send them a link to the show on Spotify, Apple, or any podcast platform. Or search for Diamonds for Our Children on Patreon. Patreon members are eligible for lots of good things, especially the opportunity to help me turn this mama love into tangible giving in our communities. You can also share what the show means to you by reviewing the podcast on the free Apple podcast app. Rating and reviewing helps others to find our community and our love. And who knows, your review might just be featured on the doc website. You can also get in touch with me via email at diamondsforourchildren at gmail.com to ask questions or share your thoughts with me. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Together, we create facets of a unified love that reflect light back onto the world. <laughs>